0: Pentecost Sunday. My name is David Miner. I'm the assistant pastor here and I welcome you if you're coming online or if you're a visitor here with us this morning. Welcome. And I am uh grateful for the church calendar. And uh, about halfway through my pastorate I made a point of paying attention to the church calendar with more regularity because of the opportunity it gives to the pastor and to the uh, structure of the worship service to rejoice in redemptive history. In particular, on this Sunday, to remember that uh, the Holy Spirit was sent in power, power to energize witness power to energize holy living. And as I start this morning, I have a uh, brief testimony. 51 years ago, I was married. We, We couldn't be here without the Holy Spirit's help. No way. The other thing is, I had planned, until early this week, to preach from one of my favorite passages, John 16, about the Holy Spirit, as the Lord Jesus describes, the gift of his Father that would soon be poured out, and the nature of his ministry in terms of convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And for some reason, I don't know why, I opened my Bible and came across Romans 8. Noticing that uh, uh, English paragraph heading, Life in the Spirit, read it, noticed all the uh, references to the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, and suddenly made a snap judgment that I was going to change my text. Now, if I were more spiritual, I would say the Lord led me to do that. I'm sorry, I'm not willing to say that. (laughs) I'm not willing to deny that he did it. All I'm willing to say is I changed it and I trust he enabled me to come up with a new sermon. That's what you hope too. So, this this gift of the Holy Spirit um, There are numerous passages where we could go to it. John 3, the spirit enabled new birth. The Upper Room Discourse, the promise of the Father that will spotlight our Savior Jesus. In the Apostle Paul's writings, there are numerous passages. How do we know the truth of the gospel? 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to convince us of the truth of the gospel how do we get change 1 corinthians 3 the transforming work of the spirit that's at work in us changing us from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory 1 corinthians 3 18 the gifts of the spirit perhaps the most prominent passage that you would think of is if you've been able to live as i have through the uh, charismatic controversy, charismatic revolution in the church, the gifts of the Spirit, or other passages in Paul about the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I've picked a passage that zeroes in on one of the very particular works of the Spirit. In the words of Gordon Fee, I The spirit is God's empowering presence in the lives of his people. Empowering presence in the lives of his people. So, I'm going to read my text right now. One of the most beloved passages in scripture. I'm not reading the whole chapter. or sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these precious words inspired by your Holy Spirit through your Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, whom you miraculously changed and set to work as your servant for the, of the gospel. Guide my words, guide the thoughts of these, your people, into your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I got three points I want to make this morning for you. Number one, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. It was there in the confession. Heidelberg Catechism. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that the Spirit is given to me. It's a claim of every child of God. So that through true faith, the Spirit makes me share in Christ and his benefits through faith, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. On Pentecost Sunday, I want to emphasize to you the truth that perhaps you're aware of, perhaps you need reinforcement, and perhaps it's a little fuzzy. You have the Holy Spirit. He's a gift to you from a heavenly father who loves you and sent his son for you. And he can't complete that work for you without sending you his spirit to live in you and to strengthen you and to empower you. His purpose for you is that you might be his servants in glory. At the end of Revelation we read that his, God's servants will serve him. We can't do that unless God enables. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, that might be a little mysterious. And so now I'm going to go to some of those. I think there may be some there that are sort of wondering. You know, I'm not spiritual like those people that are praying for parking places and suddenly they appear. I'm I'm more like one of those guys that, that thinks, well, if I get one, I'll thank God. In the meantime, I'm going to look. Well, you know, there is a sense in which some people are able to flaunt their spirituality in a way that maybe you don't understand and can't grasp. I actually went through a problem like that um, about 50, 60 years ago where you know I, I just hankered after some kind of feeling some kind of presence of the spirit of God that I could attribute to supernatural activity and as much as I would pray for it, it didn't seem to be there. And then I was in these Baptist kind of services where they were emphasizing, if you can't remember when you turned your life over to Jesus, if you can't remember a miraculous change, then you're probably not a believer. Do it now. And then it came to me that there's that precious uh, indicative statement in Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, a a passage about the gifts of the Spirit. But Paul starts off that passage by saying, I want you to understand, no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. But I said Jesus is Lord. I believed it in my heart. I wanted him to be my Lord that's evidence of the Spirit's work in me and freed me from those kinds of temptations those kinds of of, uh, challenges to my faith well that kind of work of the Holy Spirit is evident in those who come as members to this church and answer positively to the very first question do you believe you're a sinner and that God has a right to punish you eternally because of your sin I asked that to two young ladies just recently high schoolers do your friends at school believe this where did you actually believe this that your sin is serious enough that God could justly send you to hell? You believe that? Yes, I believe that. That's evidence the Spirit of God is at work in you. Don't you forget that. If you've come to the point where you recognize that you need a Savior and Jesus is Lord and Savior, that is evidence that the Spirit is at work in you. You see, that thirst for some kind of external feeling that ignores one of the major characteristics of the third person of the trinity. His job is self-effacing. He highlights, spotlights Jesus. That's his job. J.I. Packer helped me greatly in his book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, when he emphasized that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a spotlight ministry. You see a spotlight, or at least you used to see a spotlight when a new um, business got established and and there'd be these uh, roving uh, beams of light in the air and you'd wonder what's going on and you follow where the beam comes down and there'd be a new used car dealer or something like that. the, the spotlight is on something else, and you don't see the spotlight. The spotlight's out here. I don't think they're working right now, right, Bob? And uh, their job is to highlight the, uh, that beautiful um, uh, spire we have out there. They're not to, their job is not to point attention to them. That's the Holy Spirit's work. He spotlights Jesus. And if you see Jesus and understand Jesus, the Spirit's at work in you. Be confident of that. So, um, what is the job of the Spirit in this particular passage? I want to take you to verse 2, which I attempted to emphasize in my reading. Or, the law of the spirit of life. The spirit of life. The spirit's called many things in this passage. The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the the Holy Spirit, the spirit. Here it's the spirit of life. The spirit of life has set you free. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. Now, what is this word, law? The law of the Spirit. The principle, the power, the realm of the Spirit of God has set you free in Christ Jesus from the realm, from the principle, from the power of sin and death. In what way? Two ways. One, justification there is now therefore no condemnation but more than condemnation or more than justification sanctification growth in righteous living that's clear in the rest of this text that that's what the apostles where the apostles going with this the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the power of indwelling sin Well, does it feel that way? Some of us are struggling with resentment, bitterness, anger, lust, greed, jealousy, If that's you, and it's probably you and to some degree, if you're aware of the Spirit's work in opening the text of Holy Scripture to teach you who you are and how you need saving, then there's real hope. The Spirit is given to you in order that you might have power over this principle, this realm of sin and death that's at work in you. And this text um, goes on to talk about the difference between the flesh and the spirit. What is meant by this flesh? What's meant there is who we are in Adam. As we come to physical life in this age, we are sons and daughters of Adam. We share his fallenness. We are inclined toward evil and we are not inclined toward the things of God. Unless the spirits at work, like he was early in the lives of John the Baptist, even in the womb, The spirit can and does go to work early. And some of us cannot remember a day when we did not want to serve Jesus. But we know we still struggle with indwelling sin. And that's what Paul is talking about as the flesh here. And what he's saying is that the flesh, there's a mindset to the flesh. The mind Uh, the mind of the flesh is death and there's a mind of the spirit which is life and peace that's there in verse 8 those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit there's a mindset at work here Uh, our thought life uh, is is, is highlighted here in this text along with the two different possibilities for how that works itself out in ultimately in our behavior and what the apostle is saying here is that there's help to deal with it and what's uh, where, where he's going is uh, to verse 12 there um, and this is my second point uh, namely, that we are, um, we have an ensuing assignment from uh, the Spirit. The, the assignment is to put to death the flesh. Verse 12, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you will put to de- you put to death the deeds of the spirit of the body, you will live. Now you notice that Paul has not gotten around to where his thought was going. We are debtors not to the flesh, but to the spirit. But it's very clear in the text that that's where he meant to go, and he will go there, or he has gone there. It's just that, as we read the scriptures, we have to interpret that. And what he's saying here is, as you are led by the Spirit of God, you are children of God, sons of God, and uh, you haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So, But our task, are, uh, we, we, have, we are debtors to the Spirit to live according to the Spirit. And how does that happen? Verse 12, you put to death the deeds of the body. Mike Sherk preached about this as he went through 1 Peter. Paul writes about it in other places. We are to, and the big word is, from the King James Version, mortify the flesh, put to death, kill, destroy those sinful tendencies towards bitterness, resentment, Ongoing anger, lust, the temptation, the greed, the jealousy. We're to put that to death. It's a violent struggle that's talked about here. It's a struggle that, depending on how you read Romans 7, it's sort of highlighted there at the ends of Romans 7. But it's an ongoing struggle. Struggle, whether you think that Romans 7 is about the Apostle Paul before he was a believer or after he was a believer. An ongoing struggle. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that struggle this morning. And I want to say first a couple of negative things. How we don't go about this struggle. Ignore the spirit that's been given to you To enable you to combat that indwelling sin. That is to say, unaided legalism. Unaided legalism. Now there's a sense in which self-responsibility is something every parent wants to instill in their child. My wife can remember a lot more things our kids said but there's one I remember very clearly with our firstborn. as she was learning how to tie her shoes and we were probably late and I wanted to help her Izzy do it by self well that gives some kind of joy and delight to a father as well as frustration that we have to wait for it to get done by self that's Not how you deal with indwelling sins by self. Unaided legalism. I know it's wrong. I'll fix it myself. I'll reform myself. No. You've been enabled by the Spirit to do that. Make use of the gift of the Spirit. That's the first negative thing. There's another negative way to deal with this what we call mortification of sin. And that is by waiting for the Spirit to take away the temptation. Waiting for the Spirit to give me victory. Waiting for the Spirit to do my work. No, don't do it that way. Don't just say, I'm going to let go of the struggle and let God do it for me no you see the spirit is the empowering presence of god to change you jesus died to redeem you to change you and you need to let the spirit help you change yourself you need to be active in this whole process so let's go to the positive what does the action look like well i think one of the most important things is that we struggle to get the mindset of the spirit we struggle to get the mind of christ we struggle to understand scripture in terms of its obligations that are put on god's people who says be holy for i am holy this is a struggle of our mind we have to engage our minds in it we make use of the scripture we make use of the spirit who opens the scriptures to our understanding but we engage our minds, as uh, the apostle paul will say just a few chapters later when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind, so that you can test what God's will is, is good and perfect, acceptable and perfect will. It's action that involves the use of the gifts God's given to you as one who is a self-conscious thinking person made in the image of God. And the spirit knows that you're distinct and you have a specific contribution to make to the glory of God and to the the good of, of your brothers and sisters in the church around about you and you are to change. So, if you are determined to stay in that puddle of bitterness, of anger, of lust, of greed, of jealousy, if, you, if you're determined not to get out of that, you won't be able to serve as a genuine servant of God. The way that God calls you to do. So, what do you do? Uh, further, I, I, the positive, engage your mind, then, that indwelling sin, starve it, cut it out, crowd it out, starve it. Don't feed it. Don't be in places and circumstances where that temptation is continues to engage you go elsewhere and find that the lord will enable you to crowd out those sinful temptations with something more holy you crowd it out by providing another context so that you are doing something in the words of the Apostle Paul you're thinking about that which is beautiful you're thinking about that which is good virtuous you think you're you're changed your direction now it doesn't need to be something that is actually necessarily um, churchy shall we use that word spiritual? It could be that it should be something that is utterly uh, acceptable in God's holy creation, like gardening, or some other kind of useful hobby or service of others that gets your mind off those temptations. Crowd it out, or cut it out was another one that the Lord Jesus used in his uh, teaching. Uh, he's, he said that if your eye causes you uh, to offend, gouge it out. Now, we know that uh, the Hebrews, including the Lord Jesus, used exaggeration, hyperbole. And I don't think that... Um, he really meant that to be taken literally. But what Jesus clearly meant was that if you're in a context where the temptation is serious and you're about to offend or you have offended, get away from there. Cut it out. Uh, This all calls for something called self-denial. What Jesus said uh, there in Matthew 16 uh, to those who would be his disciples, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You see, the, uh, 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 this denying oneself means denying the satisfaction of continuing to muddle in these sins I've named more than once. I guess I'm not going to go through that list again. You've heard it three times, I think. You don't want to do, to stay there. You want to get out of there. Well, my third point, I need to move on, my third point, is to take you where the, this chapter 8 goes. This chapter 8 is really one of the most beloved passages in scripture for the simple reason that it takes us to the assurance of the gospel. It takes us beyond the struggle. The next words I haven't read yet, but um, I'll read them right now. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What are these sufferings? They're not necessarily that you're suffering persecution for the gospel. They could well be the suffering of this inner battle, this turmoil that you have with this indwelling sin. And the assurance is there's going to be victory. There's going to be glory to follow continue in the struggle with the spirit's help he will bring relief the other part of this assurance is there's no condemnation brothers and sisters if you're struggling with some of those sins I just mentioned one of the way one of the most in uh, uh, essential aspects of victory is to grasp hold of this truth that If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. The condemnation fell on your savior. Your savior who was made sin for you. Verse 2. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. What is that and for sin? The words there that are used are regularly used in the Old Testament in the Pentateuch the books of Moses to talk about the sin offering which covered guilt. And what I believe the apostles doing here is he said God the Father sent the son as a sin offering. Those sin offerings in Leviticus and uh, Numbers, they didn't accomplish it. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus accomplishes it. He has done it. There is therefore no condemnation to you. This passage in Romans is, is a section uh, we might table uh, label living in grace, starting in chapter 6. Therefore, or starting in chapter 5. Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those. We have to hang on to those truths if we're going to make progress in dealing with this struggle. If we're going to take the Holy Spirit's gift uh, to us that gives us power over Power over the law of sin and death. Power over indwelling sin. Now, there's some <clears throat> final point that I'm going to make is actually goes to where I might have been if I hadn't changed my text. Romans, uh, uh, John chapter 16, the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus makes this promise. I will not leave you as orphans. His disciples were fearful. They knew the Jews wanted to execute him, destroy him. They knew he had said about, he'd been talking in some strange way about leaving them. They were fearful. They were afraid of the Jews. And Jesus makes this comforting promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How did Jesus come to you? He comes to you through His Holy Spirit. You're not an orphan. Don't live like an orphan. You've been granted the Spirit. The Spirit power, empowering presence to deal with indwelling sin. On this Pentecost Sunday, rejoice in this gift of the Father, through the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, give us the mind of Christ to see our sin for what it is. Repent of it and turn with confident expectation of your Spirit's help to turn from it. So that our, so that Jesus might have the glory, so that he might be glorified through us. And we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.